he said, well, is it supposed to be slower or faster than my, than my PR on my fly 10? It's like, I don't know. Let, let's run it and let's see. I said, it could be two different things. I said, it could be slower because you're going to be thinking too much. You're going to be trying too hard. You're going to try and force your way through it. Or it could be faster because this is going to put us in the position that we need to be in as you run through this. Welcome to the Business of Speed podcast with Nick Bratton and Steve Brownstein. From their 25 years of experience in business and training, Nick and Steve will bring you insight, research, and industry thought leaders on all matters of business, leadership, and training. This show will help all professionals improve the growth of their business, coaching knowledge, and leadership ability. As coaches and leaders, you are asked to wear many hats. Let them help you manage this balancing act with the Business of Speed podcast. Welcome to the Business of Speed podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Bratton, here with Steve Breitenstein. Uh, each week, we work to bring you guys uh, information on business, speed training, and leadership development within your facilities and your weight rooms. Um, Steve, glad to be with you here, our first episode of 2022. Uh, I know a lot to catch up on today, uh, but how are things going for you guys up in Chicago? Getting some snow right now, huh? Yeah, the snow, the snow finally came. It was like the warmest winter ever. And then we finally just had snow every week. It feels like a couple inches. So it's nice. 22 uh, getting started here. You know, uh, my wife is due here in the next three weeks as we start this. Nick and I are being quite ambitious to, to kind of get our 2022 season of podcasting going right when I'm gonna have a new baby in the house. But we're gonna make it happen. You know, we're, it's exciting. It's a passion project for both of us. Uh, and we we love discussing it. It's a great hour each week to kind of just connect with each other. Uh, Nick, how are things going for you personal-wise and business-wise? Uh, you know, personally, things are going well. Uh, my little girl is a year and a half now, so enjoying watching her grow and develop. Love bringing her in the facility. Um, the other day, she was in here and picked up a four-pound med ball for the first time. And so uh, just love watching her just develop and, and uh, trying not to take it too seriously. Um, but yeah, things, things are going well. The spring tends to be a slow time for us in the facility. We train a lot of baseball athletes. And so they're all going out and competing right now, which is a lot of fun. Um, our, uh, there is a local soccer team that we're working with for the first time ever this year. And this is a team that hasn't made it to the playoffs in the last 10 years. And Tuesday night, they won their first playoff game. Uh, tomorrow, they're going to play their second playoff game. They have already beat the number one team in the state in regular season. Um, and so just fun to get out and watch everybody compete right now. Uh, the other piece of exciting news, and one of the re reasons why Steve and I haven't met a lot lately, um, is BSP has actually just purchased a brand new building. Um, and so we will be moving out of the unit that we have been leasing. Uh, we are moving into a new 10,000 square foot facility. Uh, we just had a physical therapist sign on with us. And so we will have two in-house PTs um, and we will also have uh, obviously the, the merchandise that we sell, but we will also have in-house uh, coffee, nutrition, snacks, drinks, um, different things like that. And so it, it really is going to become uh, a one-stop shop here in New Orleans uh, and really hoping to have it up and running by the time that uh, the NSCA does their national conference here in New Orleans in July. Uh, and so... Hopefully all of our listeners for Business of Speed will be able to come out and visit our brand new facility and check out what we have going on down here. That's uh, a huge congratulations, man. I know that was 
a, a struggle at times. You went through a hurricane, possible different locations. And it, it's awesome to hear that it kind of got finalized. Yeah, yeah, definitely exciting. I, I actually think the hurricane is the reason why this cell went through. Um, we were literally uh, evacuated in Tennessee uh, when I made that call and said, hey, listen, you know, if you're still interested, I am sight unseen. And so, um, you know, sometimes uh, those those tragedies end up uh, turning into something positive for you. I love it, man. And then TC Boost, uh, we actually set our year revenue record uh, in the history of the facility. So that's 22 years of TC Boost being exist existence. And we have one of our smallest staffs. Uh, we made most of the year with three coaches coaching and our owner half coaching, half run the business. Um, so I think it's kind of neat as we go through this uh, business of speed podcast that we wanted to be a part of, you know, like it's one of those things where you don't want to feel like you're just talking theory uh, and sharing these theoretical ideas. Everything we try to share is what we're actually doing day to day. And I think the idea of BSP expanding and being able to buy a new facility TC Boost setting a revenue record uh, all time are huge kind of like, hey, you know what? We're in the trenches doing it, making mistakes, figuring out ways to do it, and always trying to just kind of share that with anyone that's kind of listening and uh, kind of tuning in to see what we're up to. So I'm, I'm super happy to hear that there's positives on every angle on this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so Steve, I know that, uh, you know, starting out the new year, first show in a while, one of the things that, that you and I want to do is just kind of catch up on some things. You know, I, I know that for myself personally, uh, I've had two speaking engagements in the last four weeks. I spoke at the NSCA Coaches Conference in San Antonio the first weekend of January. Last weekend, I was at the Hutto Sports Performance Clinic in Austin, Texas, um, and, and spoke with some, some great presenters there. Um, and then I've got two more conferences coming up here in the next couple of months. And so, um, you know, between that and the continuing education that you and I are both doing and, and continuing to do, um, I know that we just wanted to take some time and talk about like what we're seeing from a speed standpoint, some of the things that are popular, some of the conversations we're having within our own facility. Uh, I know you and I both have uh, a couple of staff members that are new to our facility from the standpoint of, you know, being here for less than a year. Um, you know, one of the things that my staff and I did last week, you know, I, I presented on Friday, we took all day Saturday, literally took 13 hours and sat down and tore apart BSP. Um, and what we do from a business side, a marketing side, a speed and agility, um, power and strength standpoint, and, and rebuilt everything that we did. And so we had some really good conversations there. So, with that said, let's just take a little bit of time today and talk about, you know, some of the things that we're seeing or some of the conversations that we're having uh, that are causing us to either look at things in a different light or really just reaffirm some of the things that we're doing in our facilities. Yeah, for sure. And the timeliness of this is huge because we just had a new uh, staff member, Mike Sullivan, joined our staff from UC Davis uh, to start the new year. Uh, he was a guy that in high school was a local guy then got into the world of strength and conditioning, has been around in Notre Dame, Illinois State, Texas, finishing at UC Davis before coming back home kind of to the Midwest. And right now he's devouring content as far as speed. And Nick and I were kind of talking off air that for him, he's an awesome team member because he's doing exactly what we've written so far as this is what we do training wise. 
But at the same time, he's devouring content and asking questions nonstop about why don't we do this or why do we do that? So one of the big conversation points that we've had so far is about top end speed and our use of wickets in the facility and thoughts about how do we use wickets spacing? Who do we introduce those wickets with? And where do we progress them to? For contextual piece, like we have a 60 yard straightaway in our facility that's five lanes wide. So when we use wickets, we are able to get some decent wicket running in. But Nick, I want to ask you first before I share kind of what I answered to him was how do you guys kind of implement wicket training, which is just low hurdles or just objects and top end speed for some of your clients? Sure. So the way that we the way that we get to wickets is we'll go through our entire acceleration progression. Uh, then we will get into some of our upright sprinting. And what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, two or three weeks. And, uh, you know, our, our whole model is constraint-based. You know, it is all about how can we put the athletes in the position, not how can we teach or coach the athletes to get to the position. So, you know, two of the things that we use, we do a med ball punch drill. You know, you accelerate out, hold the med ball in front of your abdomen. You cue the athletes to drive their knees up toward the ball, trying that, trying to get them to a more front side position, spend a little less time backside. We'll do PVC either in front of shoulder or overhead runs, working on really elevating the center of gravity. Then we'll get into some of our wicket runs. Um, so at least they've had a little bit of time getting into that upright position before they start going over the top of something. You know, one of the things that I spent time of talking about in the presentation last weekend was we need to recognize that our agility-based athletes are not used to getting their center of gravity um, up over the ground that high, not like a track athlete, because they're always preparing for the breakdown. They're always preparing for the deceleration, reacceleration in another direction. So they're not comfortable or used to truly elevating over the ground uh, and being able to get to that max velocity. So we need to get them to the point where they're comfortable with that position. So in order to set up the wickets, what we do is I will have an athlete go through a, a, just a regular staggered acceleration for 20 to 25 yards. When I see them get to a true hip lock position where they fully extend through their hip, they're completely upright, they hit that figure four, then I'm going to place the first hurdle. That's when I know I'm, I want to put the first one down because I want to see them come all the way up. And for most of our athletes, this is going to depend on a lot of things their stride length, the power and the strength that they're able to produce into the track, their ability to, to go through that full transition from acceleration to top end speed. But once they get to that position, then I'm going to place the first hurdle down. And then it's going to depend on the athlete. Some of our shorter, younger, you know, not as strong athletes, uh, the spacing is going to be four and a half, maybe five feet. Some of our taller, more powerful athletes, their spacing may be five and a half, six, six and a half feet. So what we'll do is we'll place the first hurdle down and then we'll space out three more hurdles after that. So we'll basically just go four wickets. Um, and then we're going to have those athletes run through a number of times. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I, I try to be very aware of is where we're placing the wicket and what that does to the foot pre-contact. You know, I want to make sure that we're not casting out with the step. And that's why, um, you know, I, I really don't do a lot of progressive measuring with the wickets. I, I don't want to continue to extend the stride too much with each step because I want to see that 
uh, direct vertical force down into the ground with that step. So I want to see that stop before the wicket in order to get into the next one. So typically that's how we're going to go through our setup uh, initially when, when athletes are going through that. Yeah, I love that. Similarly, when, when we're in the facility, it's usually about a, a three-week three week block of kind of pre-training that works us into really trying to implement wickets as part of what we're doing. Uh, we, we do a lot of dribble work. That's one of the things like our, our, the Dan Pfaff kind of Altus series. We use that as one of our foundations to kind of work on that early dorsiflexion and that really that up and down feel of the leg versus kind of low and really elliptical. Um, that's one of our big precursors that we work on a lot. Similarly with different PVC buildup variations, just kind of isolating arms away to feel your, your legs and how that intertwines with your torso in that uh, positioning. Uh, and our coach, Mike, he was kind of going through some different uh, education pieces. And he, he said, like, do you like progressive hurdles like Nick just touched on? Or do you like them just to be set? And I answered yes, which is always aggravating as a young coach when you're asking a, a more seasoned coach when they just say, like, it depends, essentially. But for me, the, a lot of the value that I get out of it is not necessarily uh, the progressive one where I'm trying to get them to run super, super fast through the hurdles right away. It's more of a spacing that allows for a comfortable stride length and allows my athletes to relax and really get feeling of what it's like in those postures. And I like to have a, a good amount of hurdles too. So we might have 10 to 15 yards of hurdles. It's not like we're just running through five yards of hurdles. Like it might be a 10 to 12 yard lead in to 15 yards of hurdles that short lead-in does not allow you to get to really fast speed. But if you're not running efficiently, you certainly slow down in the hurdles pretty quickly. And that's one of the things I like to see is just try and maintain your speed through, maintain your speed through, maintain your speed through. And that usually is going to be about that five to five and a half foot spacing for most of our, our young high school aged athletes, a little bit below that for our younger athletes, if they are just a little shorter, a little slower. And then our male high school athletes might be working up to that like six to six and a half foot spacing, depending on their speed and height. And then as we get more comfortable in the wickets, one thing that I've seen a ton of PRs, you know, we're not chasing PRs, but they do happen is for those athletes that sometimes get stuck when we do flying tens is if I set the first hurdle at the 30 yard mark, and then I set up two to three hurdles, six foot spacing in front of that. And I set up hurdles going through the flying 10, six foot spacing from there. I have a ton of athletes hit PRs doing that. They are now that's not like first time in the gym, mind you. This is context saying that they've trained regularly and they're kind of getting stuck in their flying 10. But the relaxation and rhythm they need to run with to make it through those hurdles smoothly often opens up that next level of speed where they're not over trying. And it's that idea of at 97% of your max effort, you actually are running your smoothest and your fastest. And it's one of my favorite things to progress into is that, that timed hurdle run through. And I'd say Tony Haller, uh, I'll give him some props. Like he's a little bit of an influence on that with the, the X factor type stuff he does with just let him run through there and see what happens. Like if you're not being super dangerous with it, it's probably not going to lead to an injury. Like obviously being smart with your spacing, but some really neat things do happen from time to time where an athlete unlocks all of a sudden something you're like, Oh, that was great. And then we always are taking those hurdles away and having them run 
alongside the hurdles, whether you do one wicket run and then you run alongside one wicket run one alongside. And that was where I was talking to our coach saying, Hey, like, there's not necessarily wrong things to do unless you're being dangerous, but it's always important to kind of get that athlete just running and trying to get it to carry over into how they're sprinting is what I really believe. No matter what your intervention drill stimulus you're providing on the side, they need to run and just feel if they can get it to carry over. It's really difficult to say I'm going to do seven wicket runs with no contrast sprints for three weeks. And then we're at time flying tens at the end of four weeks and say, what, what happened? I think that's difficult to kind of ask an athlete to do and expect great results. Um, so that yeah. was kind of the explanation I gave him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's ironic that you say that because we had that exact same thing happen last week. Uh, you know, we had, we had a gentleman freshman baseball player, uh, you know, he's done wickets, he's done fly tens. He's never done them together. And yeah. so I just on a whim had set him up, you know, the, the fly 10 times weren't what I thought that he'd be capable of. Um, and so we set up the wickets inside the, the transmitters and he said, well, is it supposed to be slower or faster than my, than my PR on my fly 10? It's like, I don't know, Let, let's <laughs> run it and let's see. I said, it could be two different things. I said, it could be slower because you're going to be thinking too much. You're going to be trying too hard. You're going to try and force your way through it. Or it could be faster because this is going to put us in the position that we need to be in as you run through this. And lo and behold, he dropped five hundredths of a second off of his, his fly 10 time. And so, you know, sometimes, and again, I could have done that with another athlete and they could have been a tenth of a second slower. It's one of those things that as a coach, I didn't know what was going to happen, but yeah. I knew I wasn't getting the result that I wanted just running a fly 10 and telling him what, what I wanted him to adjust. And so we force him into the position that I feel like he needs to be in and it helps helps us get to where we want to go. And so sometimes you, you, you have that trial and error and it goes in your favor. Yeah, for sure. I think there's, and I think that's like the great part in the art of the coaching piece is that it's not so black and white all the time. And I know that that kind of brings us into another aspect we wanted to talk about was the trends in speed training right now. And one of the trends we're seeing is there's a ton of data, 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 data coming out, which we all love so much. Uh, I mean, like I'm speaking from the place of having had force plates in the facility. We have jump mats. We have a 1080, obviously, is one of the top of line pieces of equipment. And we get data nonstop from that stuff. And one of the things that like Coach Matt, who's on staff, is awesome with data. But the question I always kind of follow up with was, well, then what? Like once we have this data, it, then what, you know, and it's that art piece of there isn't always an exact template. Like what, what have you seen that has kind of been in that zone of like tons of data, but is it, is it super valuable? Is it not? We don't know, but it's interesting to kind of talk through. So it's so interesting that, that we talk about this. Um, you know, like I said, I, I've been in a couple of conferences the last couple of weeks and I've seen it twice now. One, uh, at the NSCA Coaches Conference, um, there was a presentation on uh, a, a researcher was presenting on what he had been doing with velocity-based training um, in cor correlation with Brian Mann and some of the work that he's doing and, and now what they're doing down in, in Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he had all this data, but there was very little 
uh, real-time feedback on what was going on. Uh, and then last week at the Hutto conference, I, there was another coach, a high school strength conditioning coach that he had all kinds of data to give us, but he couldn't tell us what he was doing with the data or what we thought would be uh, what he thought would be uh, a good application for it. And so, you know, again, I, I, I'm seeing coaches that are collecting a lot of information but don't actually know what to do with it. And that's where I think it it's beneficial to have somebody on staff or at least to have somebody to talk to uh, like you guys have Matt. Um, one of the gentlemen that, that I use, I've never actually met him in person, uh, but the guy who owns the, the BBA performance account, uh, Michael, is it Zweifel? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, he and I go back and forth a lot on some of the information that he's collecting, what's been useful about it, some of the information that we're collecting from like an RSI standpoint and uh, from a, a rigidity and and um, kind of a plyometric effect standpoint within training. Um, it's important to have somebody like that to, to also kind of help you sort through uh, some of the, the murkiness of this data, but also to be able to say, I think this is helping you, or I think you're just lost right now. And we kind of need to pull back and look at, is this really, you know, moving us in the direction that we think it is? Yeah, that, that exact conversation is going on with our combine prep, because uh, Tommy's collecting right now a ton of data on our combine guys with everything that we can test on the regular. And he, he was talking to me the other day. He's like, the data didn't move the way that I thought it should move. And I said, well, are they looking better in the way they're moving though? And he's like, well, yeah, I thought they'd move much better, but this data piece has me like questioning if we're actually doing what's right or not. And, you know, it, it, that's what always happens to us as coaches is, it, we want that data to be aligning with what our gut is saying, because then it's really easy to coach. But when the data is contradicting what we're feeling and seeing, it's hard because we don't know where to make our decisions then. And Tommy has 22 years of combine success. So for him collecting all this extra data this year, it doesn't particularly make sense to make decisions just based on that data this year. But the value is, Afterwards, you can look at it and say, oh, yeah, here was what was happening. Then it made a turn at week three and the data jumped back on. So now I know in the future when we're collecting all this data, I can expect this kind of trend to be happening. and I don't need to worry about it. But it's hard when you just hear track this and then you start tracking it, but you don't understand how to make decisions based on it. And Matt, I, I think like I can't if anyone's listening to this and is curious about application of data like reaching out to coach Matt Tometz here at TC Boost, like that is something he spends so much time doing is just data collection, finding trends, uh, going through it and saying, this is statistically significant or not, or this actually is where we're at versus what you guys were saying, your gut was saying. And, and it's so helpful to have him, like you said, Nick, because he's able to kind of process that data side and allows me to play the old coach that goes, well, I don't know about that data instead of me knowing that I need this data, but that messing with my head along the way. Right. Right. And it's so interesting to hear that from veteran coaches like yourself, like Tommy, yeah. who for the longest time, we, 
we relied on our instinct. We, we relied on our gut, on our experience. Uh, and then to have that data come in and kind of throw us off a little bit. Uh, just, to, just to reiterate what you said uh, and, and to second that, you know, check out Matt Tomets and what he's doing. But if you have not listened to our episode with Matt um, on the business of speed and, and, you know, how he's applying things, uh, that's a great episode there. So, so go back and check that one out as well. For sure. So what, what do you guys, have you changed anything that you guys are tracking with the data side right now? Because I know our standards are usually our fly tens is like one of our ultimate ones. Our RSI variations, our vertical jumps. What, what else is, is changing or things that you're even dug in more that this is something that's the most valuable to you guys? I just saw, I don't know if you guys saw the BSP flying 10 board but there was a image of about 75 flying tens on there. So we know that's valuable to you guys. It, it is very valuable to us. And, and unfortunately, those are the only 75 that fit on the board. We have about 200. And so we just put the ones in that are training right now. Um, you know, the fly tens are extremely important to us. I, I don't know that we are doing any significant data collection differently than what we've done in the past. However, uh, like I said, we, we did um, this kind of like uh, BSP getaway this weekend and, and really talked about what we're doing and, and some of the changes we want to make. One of the things that has become a really big staple for us is sled sprints and not towing sprints, but pushing sprints. So what we do is, you know, we'll, we got the, the uh, sleds with the high handles, that way we can put our athletes in a good position when they're, where they're in a good, true acceleration position. Um, and this actually is the training cycle before we get into fly tens. And so what we do is we'll put an athlete on it. They'll do a 10 yard max effort sprint as fast as they can. Uh, and we'll repeat that four, six, eight, 10 times. Uh, and what we do is we want our athletes to fall in the range of two and a half to three seconds as they, as they do the sprint. And then we adjust the weight as we go, kind of like BBT. And so we'll start our athletes with 25 pounds, then 45 pounds. We'll go up to 70 pounds, 95, uh, you know, and just work our way up, up from there. And one of the things that, that we're starting to pay a lot of attention to is uh, the weight that we're using where the, the range falls as they're going through these and then how it correlates to our fly tens. Um, you know, obviously the, the athletes that are able to put the heavier weight on uh, and still get close to that 2.5 range uh, are having more success with the fly tens. Uh, but the athletes that have the ability to do that over and over and over again, um, that are able to, uh, you know, kind of build this, uh, speed threshold, build their speed endurance. Uh, you know, so we are tracking this more closely, uh, again, their speed, but also their ability to do this over longer periods of time. And we've actually gotten to the point where we're changing our, our, uh, fly 10 protocols as well. You know, we're doing the same build up things like that, but now instead of putting reps on it, we actually have a chart on the wall that shows, okay, here's your 90% threshold of your PR you're going to run until you can't stay within that 90, 90% threshold and now tracking, okay, how many did they do each day? How are we, you know, from week to week and from training cycle to training cycle, how is this adjusting and changing? Uh, and so really kind of trying to track that uh, from a data collection standpoint. So as opposed to the true speed itself, what's happening to the organism, how is it changing and, and uh, adjusting as we go through these cycles? I like it. 
How, how, how many reps have you seen some of your athletes be able to get at 90%? So we've got a couple of MLB guys that they can, especially as we're getting to the end of their offseason right now. I mean, on a good day, they can range anywhere from 12 to 15 reps and stay within 90. I was going to say, uh, we've, we've played with that and it's, it's more than you think. Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's way more like we, cause we abide by like a 95% is where we kind of have our cap and it is yeah. almost like a challenge to have someone really outside of that zone. Like they, you gotta be like pushing them. And we always say like, if you're, if you're not ready to run fast that day, like we'll call you early. And it's, yeah it's difficult to get somebody to not be able to hit 95%. Like if they're really getting timed and running hard, you can get a bunch of reps in. Now for your athletes that are a little bit younger, that you're still working on some mechanical things with, how quickly will you pull them when they drop outside of 90 for 90% one time, or does it have to happen twice in a row or what's, what's your protocol for, for pulling them out? Yeah, I would say that like our younger athletes, it's definitely less written in stone as far as when you pull them, because oftentimes like there's I just had a group of like 11 to 13 year olds that you could not have predicted what would happen next on their sprints. And it, it was short sprints. We've done some like build up type sprints with them, but it was more of like just a focus effort thing was more than anything. Because like they would run badly. I'm like, hey. Like that was slow. I'm like, I'll, I'll beat it. And then they, sure enough, they beat it and they do way better. It was more of that trend of like, you see two in a row that are trending down and then you see a drop off. You're like, okay, that's, that's probably enough, you know, versus the kid that like ran really fast, then it drops, then he runs fast again. Just an inconsistent effort, lack of focus thing for them. Our faster kids, it might be even a faster pull. Cause I might, like if they drop a little bit, and I'm like, how you feeling? Like, I think I'm done. I'm like, all right, that's it's good for today. Like, you you you're telling me you're done and you drop time. That works for me, you know. So that's that's where we keep our 95% chart uh, up on the wall. Similarly, and it's huge. Like the kids really, they understand it after a while. And if they're having like a perceived bad day, and you're like, no, you're still hitting the zone we wanted. You know, like that was great. Like they they really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And I find for us, especially with our middle school and younger high school athletes, um, they've got to drop two outside the zone because yeah. there are some times where they just, you know, sometimes they, they just mentally don't focus on the rep and they run it and you know that they've got another one in the tank. And yeah. so it's like, all right, I need to see two outside the zone and then we'll call it a day. Um, yeah. and, and they'll usually say it themselves they'll fall one outside of 90 and they'll say, okay, well, let me do it again. I, I can do it this time. Yeah. And so just giving them the opportunity to, cause again, they, one bad step will change your time on that. And so oh, I want to make yeah. sure that they feel confident and comfortable with, you know, the times that they're, they're showing on there. No, I love that. You know, like the, the other thing that we're always tracking right now is trying to get as many of our athletes through like our, our speed velocity profiling uh, on the 1080. And then after we were able to do that in our phase one, our phase two of training, we go into 50% of their, uh, from the profile, it'll tell us what their 50% load should be. So their velocity will be at 50%. And then we put it at that, that velocity. And that has your estimated speed, 
your speed you're actually getting and the resistance level. So it allows us to like provide a pretty heavy stimulus for our athletes for our 10 to 15 uh, meter accelerations. And that's been a big one that we play with. But then we also go and then do our short sprint after we do that. Because there's sometimes that, that heightened central nervous system from doing the heavy one where they shoot out of a cannon and actually have like a great day afterwards. There's also kids that are smoked from doing the heavy resistance, just depending on the type of athlete they are. Like if they're a super plyometric athlete, sometimes they're actually very taxed after doing the heavy resistance in that short sprint where our stronger athletes actually are kind of potentiated up that they actually feel great and engaged and they sprint fast afterwards. Uh, so it's something that we're, we're playing with to see like, is there a direct, how many reps does it take to affect a time sprint immediately afterwards? In the sprint we do after that, we call like our 515, but it's a 10 yard time sprint with a five yard head start. Mm. And that's, that's our short acceleration. We, just, we don't do a strict 10 yard start so we don't have to worry about missed starts and things like that. We just have five yards and then we time 10. So that one we're pairing with that 50% um, resisted run of their estimated uh, velocity and resisted max on the 1080, which is pretty heavy loads. And then the other thing we are measuring a lot is like our overspeed and how is that working with our flying tens as far as the meters per second we're getting them to hit in an overspeed position are they hitting a flying 10 immediately afterwards that's good? Or does it stimulate but also fatigue the nervous system that they really can't output immediately afterwards? But it unlocks a week or two. Now they break through their flying 10. And so we're kind of playing with the timing on when does that carryover seem to happen? Yeah. Yeah. How often would you guys say that you're doing, I mean, I know because you guys can do your overspeed with the 1080. Yeah. How often would yeah. you guys say that you're doing overspeed? Who is able to do the overspeed? How do you, you know, if you have athletes that are in season, how do you coordinate that with your in season athletes? So what, what does that look like? For overspeed, if you're in season, we're not doing it. Just the, the, the ROI is not good enough on that one for in season. Uh, for the off season, we're only doing it with our high school athletes and we're only doing it with athletes that have had about three weeks of prep before they can get into like an overspeed group. That being said, overspeed with a 1080 is the safest quote unquote way to do it because you can adjust the resistance or the assistance so solidly, right? Like I can do a two kilogram pull which to you or I will feel like nothing's even happening. It'll just feel like you're running, mm -hmm. right? Or you can go up to a five, six kilogram pull, and that's going to be like dragging you through whatever you're doing. You know, like it's really easy to control. So it's not like, oh my God, this athlete, I don't think they, it's like, no, just put it down to two and have them try to run as bouncy as possible. And when they run bouncy, it helps them kind of get themselves going to that next step. So that would be like the, the context for it is our high school athletes are the ones that we're going to be putting on it, period. Not really our younger kids. Very, very rare that someone would be on there. The second thing is they, they're probably going to have three, works, three weeks of prep work going on. And so if they're in a, let's say it's a group setting and we're doing overspeed with the group, the athletes that aren't up to speed will be doing wicket work instead of doing their overspeed work as a way to kind of get in that top end speed. The athletes that are doing the overspeed We'll do overspeed and then a wicket, overspeed, then a wicket, overspeed, then a wicket. 
just kind of work on that staying up in front because it's really tempting to try and just go all out when you're doing overspeed and hit a faster speed than you ever had, but it leads a wild backside at times, like at the end of the run, you're like, right. all right, that's not what this is for. It's to just give you a great stimulus along the way. And then we always kind of end with one to three flying tens, depending on how the fatigue level is that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm, it, and I ask because that's one of the conversations we had this past weekend is we talked about incorporating overspeed into our program and I've done it before, but I've never had my staff do it. And that's yeah. one of those things. It's, it's so tough if you're trying to do it with bungees or anything else is there's a lot, there, there are just a lot of things that you, you have to factor in. And so, yeah. um, I think if you're trying to do it anyway, but then with a 1080, uh, again, your ROI is just, it's not high enough. Just like you said. So low. We, until we had the 1080, it was once in a blue moon type thing where it was just some really high level athlete. Mm -hmm. Maybe we were working with that was just stuck at a, a flying 10 and we could see that it was just like, he couldn't get his nervous system going enough. And that would be like the one athlete mm -hmm. where it'd be us hooking them up to kind of make it as safe as possible, which was still not as safe as a 1080. But like that was the only time we never did in a group setting. Just the things we could control were so few. Um, that's what that's really changed. And that's really changed for us in the last maybe six months as far as our comfort level as a staff to be able to have athletes going through the 1080 in a group setting. You know, that's newer too. like in the summertime, it was still real. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable putting athletes on here, but the more times we've done it, the more we kind of understand what we're seeing and the different levels of pull you can adjust it to. Cause like, we're talking about coach Mike joining our staff in January, his eyes were like bugging out the first day he watched me do it with these kids. He's like, what are you, how many kids? He's like, what is going on out here? He's like, how many flying tens do you guys do? What is going on? I'm like, I know, I know. Like if you're coming from somewhere that wasn't really doing flying tens, you're coming from somewhere that wasn't able to do overspeed. It looks insane that we have these athletes running at max velocity over speeding, but it's more that you just get more comfortable understanding the way your athletes look, how fast they're going. And that has so much to do with it. Like when we talk about like hamstring strains, what causes those for us, it feels like so many times it's, it's the mechanics. Like if your mechanics are not good, I'm not over speeding you to fix your mechanics. You know, like that's not what it's for. And I'm not having you doing flying tens to fix your mechanics. If you have bad mechanics, because I know that's going to tweak you. Like, so it, it's when I'm watching athletes and their mechanics are smooth enough that they're not in a position to get injured. I, I feel way more comfortable. And that's, I think it's more just enough reps underneath your belt to feel a little bit more comfortable with it. And then you watch Chris Corfus do it. And he's pulling athletes at like seven kilograms doing straight like bounds and different dribble actions. And I watched that and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what are you? And for him, he's like, no, this is fine. I've never had anybody get injured. And you're like, okay, well, I guess we're just on different levels of comfort with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Steve, that, uh, you know, again, with, with this first episode of 2022, I know that we just wanted to kind of get back on and, uh, talk about some of the things that we have going on. Uh, obviously, uh, exciting start for all of us. Um, 
big uh, beginning of the year for you and, and what you guys have going on. Congratulations to you and Nora on uh, the third child. Uh, but we will uh, we will be coming out with you know regular content just like we did back in 2021, both on our social media platforms, but also here on the podcast. Um, maybe a few podcasts of me on my own, uh, but we all understand that. Um, so just looking forward to to those things going on. Uh, We've talked in the past about continuing education, uh, things that that we're a part of, things that we're looking forward to. Uh, I just wanted to mention that I will be ha- hosting a conference in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, here on um, what is it going to be February nineteenth. Uh, but also, uh, there's going to be the NSCA. Uh, national conference here in New Orleans, uh, the beginning of July, the last weekend of June, the NHSSCA is going to have their national conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and I will be at that one for sure. Steve, I don't know if you're going, but it's going to be at Innsworth High School. Uh, and if you've never been to Innsworth, it, it is an incredible high school. Uh, the, the facilities they have, the resources they have, Brian Van Vliet is the uh, strength coach there. He does a phenomenal job and has an incredible staff. Uh, and so again, uh, just want to make sure that, that we put some of those things out there for individuals who are looking for continuing education. Uh, and if you do go, we would love to connect with you guys. Uh, Steve, anything that you want to add from that standpoint? Uh, there's things that are in the works right now, nothing to confirm as of this date. Uh, been kind of slow pulling the trigger on some of the things with the uh, impending birth of the baby, as far as being able to commit to dates for things. So it's been more of like, as we get back into the rhythm, I'll be able to kind of share a few more of the things where I'll actually be speaking at, presenting at, or things in the local Midwest uh, that might be uh, hot things to attend. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, like always, I appreciate you guys uh, tuning in, listening to everything that we've got going on. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, please like and share what we've got going on. We would love to continue to spread the word of what we've got going on here with Business of Speed. Appreciate it. And we'll uh, bring you the next one soon. Bye.